You can support the Black Girl Nerds podcast by going to blackgirlnerds.com forward slash t-shirts. There you can purchase any one of our shirts that includes our logos, as well as designs by other artists, such as Roller Derby Storm, Princess Tiana, and Wonder Woman. So go to blackgirlnerds.com forward slash t-shirts and support us today. Shanae Gibbs. This is Chanel Gibbs, also known as the Gibbs Sisters. And we're on the Black Black Girl Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey guys, this is Morgan Debon, CEO and founder of Blavity, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey y'all, my name is Jake Choi. I'm an actor. Uh, I've been in, I guess, uh, TV dramas and comedies like Law & Order SVU, Broad City, Younger, I have two films coming out, hopefully in 2016. And um, you are listening to the one and only Black Girl Nerds Podcast. 안녕하세요. 제 이름은 최재익입니다. 저는 연기자고요. 뭐 TV 쇼, TV 드라마에 나오고 영화로 나왔습니다. 지금 우리는 Black Girls Podcast에 인터뷰하고요. 네, 잘 부탁드립니다. Spike Lee and how he got into this business and also we ask him some questions about diversity in Hollywood and that episode is co-hosted by Joel, Kayla, and Karan. In our second segment we invited Chris from Insanity Report. Chris is a podcast master. He has several podcasts under his belt and Joy interviews this on a one-on-one interview and goes over some of the various shows that he has uh, from the Insanity Report, from movie reviews, and he also sheds light on his experience as someone who does press coverage at many conventions, including the big ones such as San Diego Comic Con and New York Comic Con. So it's a very informative interview and we were happy to have him on our show. 
In our third segment, we have Joelle, Kayla, Karan, and new podcast host Gabrielle to talk about Batman vs. Superman and Daredevil. So we get into it. We talk about what we hated about Batman vs. Superman, what we loved about the film. We also get into the new characters that were brought in, the villains, the actors, what we thought about Batfleck. And then we talk about Daredevil Season 2, what we liked about the season, what we didn't like, some of the missed opportunities, and then some of the really great, fundamental, compelling performances of new characters that happened this season. So it is a fully fleshed out podcast. It's going to be incredibly entertaining. So stay tuned to episode 67 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast, Malcolm D. Lee, Insanity Report, and Super Baddie Daredevil. Enjoy! Malcolm Lee is a film director, screenwriter, producer, and actor. He's directed such films as Undercover Brother, The Best Man, Roll Bounce, Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins, and Soul Men. He directed an episode of the sitcom Everybody Hates Chris. And he's the cousin of filmmaker Spike Lee and a graduate of Packer Collegiate Institute at Georgetown University. He directed an installment in the Scary Movie franchise, Scary Movie 5, and he directed The Best Man Holiday. Currently, he has a new film that's opening up, which is the third installment in the Barbershop series. It's called Barbershop, The Next Cut. Take a listen to this segment with filmmaker Malcolm D. Lee. This is the town I love, a neighborhood of family and friends. You know how we do Southside Chicago, baby. Yes, baby. And right here at the heart of it all is where everyone comes together. Barbershop. What's up, homie black folks? Who <laughs> wants some gangster grub? That was hopping on a fleek last time. Did she just say fleek? There's a whole dictionary full of words. There's a library down the street. You won't see fleek in there nowhere. <laughs> he funny. He made me laugh. What happened in the barbershop, Calvin? We used to come here to get away from women. Me and Angie, we was both struggling to keep our shops afloat. So we had to work together. Saved us both. I can't believe y'all put all that money on your heads and then don't be having the money for your rent. With this here and this booty, Damn. it's like walking out with a black Amex. And I never get denied. Why y'all always got to take it there? <laughs> Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. For all of you film geeks out there, 
This is a very exciting show for you, and I am stoked to have this guest on because I've been a fan of his work for many, many years. We have Malcolm Lee, filmmaker. He's done The Best Man, The Best Man sequels. He's done Scary Movie 5, and he's got a new film out, another sequel to the Barbershop franchise called Barbershop Next Cut. Thank you, Malcolm, for being on the show. I was about to hang up once you said Scary Movie 5, but I'm going to stick with you guys. Own it. Own it. That was a good I know. Movie. I know. I should. It was a dark time in my life. So <laughs> kids, kids needed tuition money, and I needed a mortgage. So, you know. Keeping it 100. That's what you got to do sometimes. <laughs> scary Movie 5. Awesome. And we have our co-hosts tonight, Kayla, Karan, and Joelle. Thanks, ladies, for being on the show. Hey. Hello. So, Malcolm, I want to first, again, say that I'm a huge fan of the Best Man films that you directed. And I'm I'm so excited for Barbershop Next Cut, uh, first of all, because I love the Barbershop movies. My mom and I, we... We've seen the first one like a million times and we can recite like all the lines from the first one. But tell us, how did you get into filmmaking in the first place? Um, interesting question. I mean, you know, uh, I think from a very early age, I was interested in the fine and performing arts. Um, my parents, well, my father in particular, my father's out of family, um, were all musicians. Um, and so, you know, being in performing arts was always a part of um, the lineage and his uh, my father's parents stressed education um, and music for um, his uh, you know for my for my dad and his his brothers and sisters so um, I think for me I didn't have the music gene um, at all I tried uh, you know to to to, to very uh, middling I wouldn't even say success I'd say middling failure. Um, so I, uh, I, I began acting. Um, I like to write. I like to play with, you know, action figures early on, write stories, um, draw. Um, and, uh, very early on in, um, in middle school, I went to a school that, uh, that had, um, uh, video making and, and, and animation. Um, uh, so I got to, to, to play a lot, a lot with that stuff, um, early on. And of course, um, as many people know, I'm related to one of the preeminent filmmakers, American filmmakers in the world, and, and Mr. Spike Lee. And he was in, um, he's also part of my family, as, as, as we know. He, um, he uh, was in film school at NYU, and uh, he lived in my parents' basement. So I got to see up close and personal, like, the, the emergence of, a, of an American filmmaker. Um, so you know, he certainly was a big influence, um, but he wasn't the reason I decided I was going to make movies. Um, I, it was just a natural thing for me to, to create and um, and I was encouraged to do so I got to work on his movies I got to write my own scripts and he was he was one the one that was kind of encouraged me to to always write and write stories and I saw that early on like if I wanted to make a movie I'd have to write it myself so when I, I went to Georgetown undergrad I uh, you know I was an English major and a, and, and a fine arts minor there because there was no film program to speak of but I knew I wanted to go to film school and I got a took a slight detour um, and did a fellowship at Disney Studios for, uh, in screenwriting. And, you know, <laughs> I didn't know how to write at that point. I just knew, I just knew pretty good dialogue. I had an ear for dialogue and characters. And um, so I wrote a number of screenplays there, and I wrote, you know, a number of screenplays before I ended, ended up writing a screenplay called My Homeboy's Wedding, 
which happened to be <laughs> uh, a really bad title for uh, the best man, what, what became the best man. Oh. Um, and then that took me, you know, about from the time that I started writing screenplays um, until I wrote that one, uh, a number of years and a number of uh, attempts at um, writing them. So uh, that's kind of the uh, abridged version. So as you're speaking right now, you you sound so much like your cousin Spike Lee. So um, oh, really? Yeah, you do. That's that's interesting. I I, I sound a lot like uh, like you know, Q-Tip, and you know it's a very nasal <laughs> voice. Was, he's he's my doppelganger also. Um, yes, or at least he, is. he was back in the day. Um, but no, I, it's funny. I mean, I think I think I've, I've certainly um, uh, uh, he's he certainly Spike has certainly been an influence on me. I, I don't I didn't know so much in, in my speech. It's probably because I'm really tired. Uh, I, I, was, I was working um, on a, on a television pilot until three a, three a.m. last night, so and I had to get up very early this morning to actually, in fact, uh, do the um, color correction on the um, on barbershop for 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 video and for uh, for TV. It's it's crazy. Before the movie even comes out, you have to do all these things to prepare it for you know the the, the second run, uh, so to speak, second and third run for that matter. Well, let's talk about Barbershop Next Cut. It's got some uh, strong new additions to the cast. Mm-hmm. Nicki Minaj is in it, J.B. Smooth, Regina Hall. Tell us a little bit about what we can expect from this third installment of the Barbershop movies. You know, I my my goal in, in taking it on was to, you know, at least try to match, you know, these the classic feel of these movies um, that people have. There's a nostalgia for you know, the first barbershop, certainly the first barbershop, somewhat the second one. Um, and for me, it was I, I wanted to when I when I read the script, um, thought I had an opportunity to be like, you know, one of the funniest ones, um, because, you know, in, in, the, in the previous barbershop movies, they, they, they only really had Cedric to turn to, you know, for laughs. And of course, Cedric is the king. And so it, with this, you know, uh, script that um, Kenya Barris and his writing partner, Tracy Oliver, wrote, you know, there was dealing with a lot of um, social issues, you know, and certainly the the gun violence that takes place in Chicago. But I and, and we're going to de- we deal with that in a very um, authentic and real way and responsible way. I think I never want to let the audience uh, forget that they're in a comedy. So I, I, I peppered the, the movie with, you know, with, with you know, a lot of, um, you know, comedic talent. Uh, as you mentioned, J.B. Smoove, Regina Hall, um, Dion Cole. Uh, Lamorne Morris, who um, people don't really know by name by now, but uh, uh, but they will after this movie comes out. And it, so you're going to expect, a, a, you know, some social commentary um, from everything from sports to politics, um, to presidential race, uh, uh, and, and as well, you're going to get a ton of laughs. Um, it's a really funny movie, and I really wanted to, you know, put my stamp on it, uh, on the franchise by um, by uh, doing it, especially because, you know, people here. Third installment of Barbershop? Really? Like, another one ten years later? And I'm like, so for all the cynics, I want to say, like, look, give it a chance. You'll see the, the, the commercials. And if the commercials are funny to you, and I'm, I'm sure they are to a lot of people, believe it. You're only getting a, 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 a small smidgen of what how funny the movie is. The, the audience has really, really enjoyed this film. And um, we had a, a, a fun time making it. Yeah, but so we have Nicki Minaj and... And, and, and Common, uh, you know, Anthony Anson is back. And it's, it's, a, it's a great cast, a great group of people. And, you know, we, you know the, we, had, we had about three to three and a half weeks in one room. Um, and you would think, you know, 15 people in one room all looking for, 
speaking space uh, might be, you know, get on each other's nerves. But I tell you, it was a real camaraderie um, on and off the set um, with this group of people. We had a lot of fun together. <laughs> I am a huge fan. I was really excited. Um, Thank you. When I found out we were doing this interview. Um, and I just want to say that, you know, Best Man is one of my all-time favorite movies. Yes. And you have found a way to successfully avoid the sequel curse with the Best Man holiday. I was so excited. My mom emailed me two weeks before the movie. Like, I got my tickets. Are you ready to go? I, was like, <laughs> I love your mom. <laughs> just, just, okay, it's Morris Chestnut. It's my mom. It's 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 a given. <laughs> got it. But but you you avoided the sequel curse because the movie was so enjoyable. How are you going to apply? How did you apply that going into the barbershop franchise? As you said, it's the third movie. Some people are like, oh, the third. But I was actually very excited. I remember seeing the very first barbershop and the set going to see the second one at the theater. So how are you? Uh, how did you go into it thinking, let me freshen this up and put my take on it? Well, you know, like I said, the, the, you know, I got a, I was blessed with it with a very, very good, you know, inventive script by um, Kenya Barris, who is the creator and a showrunner for for, for Blackish. Um, and. Uh, you know, he had, you know, a lot of the tropes of the of the original uh, uh, barbershop, uh, plus the barbershop and the beauty shop are now combined into one space. So you got a, a male perspective and a female spec perspective. Battle of the sex is constantly going uh, in, in, in addition to, um, you know, uh, the the social co uh, things that could construct that are going on you know, in the, the emotional spine of the movie really is um, Ice Cube's character. And his son, and trying to keep him from uh, the lore of the gangs that are in Chicago, that are plaguing Chicago, especially young black men. So um, for me, it was like, you know, I, I just take it as a, as a as a story. I don't, you know, I take I take the, the the script as it was, remembering what had happened before, but trying to pay homage to it, but but put the Malcolm Lee spin on it, you know, um, you know, just what the what the, what the set I set the tone that I want to set. For the movie, and you know, direct directed that how how I see fit, and edited how I see fit, and and cast it the way that I thought it would be most effective. And I think that um, again, I had the, the 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 gift of a of a, of a very good script, um, the blessing of you know Bob Title, who was the producer that brought me on, as well as my you know my star and leader in Ice Cube, who really you know pursued me to do the movie. And I, I I saw it as an opportunity to um, work with him because I hadn't done it in the, in the past, and you know we've been kind of like surfing each other for years, and this was just like a you know a match made in heaven. You know he he said he said to me early on, man, we like peanut butter and jelly. I don't know who's <laughs> peanut butter and who's jelly in the in the, in the scenario, but uh, you know I'll take it. I'll be either either one, you know, because I love Ice Cube. Um, he's so smart um, and he's so um, uh, such a leader. Um, that was needed, you know, not to just be the the star of the movie, but a producer on the movie. And he allowed me to do what to bring what I wanted to uh, to the movie. And he also had great ideas. And it was never about ego and oh, he's right and, and I'm wrong. It was like, what's best for the movie? Um, so he always has that mindset going in and had a, and gave me tremendous leeway and a lot of respect. So um, you know, I think fans are going to have to see, you know, what they what they think. My my goal in it. You know, and, and no disrespect to the to the previous movies was to make the best one. 
um, of the three. Otherwise, why am I doing it? Mm. You know, I don't I want to I want to come in and, and, you know, not only revive the franchise, but, you know, make it a standard bear uh, of it. You know, and I think that we certainly have got a lot of people who have said that they feel it's, it is the best one, that it's really funny um, and that it has something to say. So, you know, I'll, I'll let, you know, other people decide that. But that was certainly my goal in doing it. It's just like, you know, when I when I went to do the, um, you know, the sequence of Best Man, I, I felt like, well, if I wasn't going to make it better than the first or at least attempt to, like, there'd be no reason to do it. That's perfect. That's like the best answer. <laughs> like you want to I, I like that you're challenging yourself, you know, and you put it you put it out there. But you also touched on the issues that are addressed in the movie with the community within Chicago. What message are you hoping that the audience will take away after seeing the film? You know, I think that everyone knows. Um, well, if, if you don't know about Chicago, if you're not living in it, you know, it's hard to like to know exactly what the perspective is um, from people who live there. And so I think that for those who live in Chicago, they're 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 in a especially in the South Side, you know, and a lot of inner cities in, in America. You know, it, it is you know people call it a, a war zone. I, I you know I think it might be a, a little broad of a term, but it's certainly a you know a, not a normal way of life. It's 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 it shouldn't be normal. Um, people are, are are being killed on a daily basis, or at least being shot on a daily basis um, in in mass numbers. And of course, there are people that look like me and and look like you, um, and people who are gangbanging and people who are just innocent bystanders. Um, and we touch on that in, in in the movie. You know, it's a it's a big fabric of of the it's a big uh, part of the fabric of the of the film. Um, and that, uh, you know, there's there's a there's a, uh, a foreboding danger that that always can invade the safe space, which is the barbershop where where you're supposed to be able to go in and, you know, come out feeling great about yourself and learn some new, you know, some some new some new vernacular, you know, some some, some new culture, some 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 new, uh, you know, uh, 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 dances or whatever. Or you, you, you talk about politics. Um, but, you know, in that safe space where you can also leave your children, you know, to get, you know, groomed, there's this foreboding danger that that could could invade it at any time. Um, so I really wanted to touch on that. Um, and but at the same time, even the people who are causing the mayhem, give them some humanity. You know, as 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 crazy as as, as, as a lot of people are acting out here, they are they did come from somebody. They came from um, a mother and a father. You know, they they are, 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 are a person. They've lost their way quite a bit. And I'm not saying that they're not at fault, um, but there's a lot of things that are against people out there, especially um, black and brown people. And I think that, um, you know, my message for the movie is that, hey, you know, th there's a problem. There's a lot of self-preservation that has to happen. You know, we have to be responsible for ourselves. I mean, despite, you know, the things that are going to go uh, uh, be against us, you know, whether it's. Uh, institutionalized racism or police brutality, we have to take responsibility for ourselves as well. And that's what the message of the movie is. Like, the barbershop takes it upon themselves to try to do something about the, the, the violence in the neighborhood by giving, um, you know, uh, asking for a ceasefire for 48 hours by, by, by giving um, free haircuts and styling um, to, to try to stave off, you know, what could be an inevitable government situation with them. So, Mr. Lee, when exactly did oh, you know oh, Ron? Yes. Mr. Lee is my father. Just tell him I said hi. <laughs> <laughs> I will. 
I, I really want to talk a, a bit about your career. You've had an amazing career thus far, and I'm sure there's a lot more to come. But when exactly did you know you wanted to direct? I wanted to act for a, a while. And I, I remember, it was like all through high school, I was I was acting. And I think I just came, came to directing kind of naturally because I'd find myself on stage with, with my fellow actors mouthing their words mm-hmm. back to them. Um, and, you know, sometimes giving advice on how to um, deliver a piece of dialogue. I think that um, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable with being in charge. And, and I like um, the, the creative process of not only writing screenplays and characters and developing, you know, those kinds of things. But I also like working with actors that will help bring that to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, I will say that I... Um, Spike was an influence, but I, you know, it was a, a more of a natural thing for me. I, by the time I got to um, to college, oh, actually, before that, I, I saw, I remember watching Entertainment Tonight one night, and it was, and, and we're talking about an open casting call, mm-hmm. and I saw on the, the television, you know, that there was a line around the block, like I mean, like it was a Star Wars line for you know uh, an acting job, and I was like, it's like that, like <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, I don't know if I want to like, you know, be in, in, involved in a cattle call like that. Um, so I, that 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 kind of shifted my thinking a bit. And then, you know, as I, I went into college, I, you know, I acted in some plays, but I also took on the the the, the prospect of directing. And again, I had, I had done a couple of short films in high school and did some short films in in, in undergrad as well. And I just it, it just gravitated toward it. It was you know, I found out that in my between my junior and sophomore year, I took a, a um, a class at NYU uh, for six weeks that my cousin actually paid for. And, and I, I, uh, it, it was six weeks. You, made, you had to make five short films in six weeks. And it was really intense, hard work. And I remember being tired. I remember being at times frustrated. But by the end of it, I was like, my God, I love this. I love what I'm doing. And, and uh, I don't see myself doing anything else. And quite frankly, I'm not qualified to do anything else. If this dried up, I don't know what I would do. Um, so, you know, I, um, I can't, I, I think it was sometime in, in college, but I knew by, by age 19, I wanted to make movies. It kind of encompassed everything that I was interested in mm. uh, because you could tell stories about pretty much anything. And I had interest in politics and interest in sports and interest in um, movies and theater and acting and, um, and law. And I felt like, all these things could be encompassed in in under the umbrella of film uh, or, 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 you know, or creating content. Well, now with what people like to call creating content, because it's not all about film. Now it's like television and you know, digital downloads and whatever else. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I guess I am in, in the in the, uh, the the category of content creator, you know, mm-hmm. because it's not just about, you know, movies for the big screen anymore. So I would say, yeah, in, in college, you know, undergrad, I, I knew I wanted to uh, to make movies. Is there anything you would have done differently on your career path? You know, you learn a lot uh, along the, the, the way. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly have had some missteps and some things where I was like, that was a, re- a big blockbuster movie that was offered to me. I probably should have done that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And I, I don't think I would trade my experience, you know, for anything. It just, it just helps me grow um, as a person and as an artist um, to, you know, make mistakes and have missteps and, um, and learn from those. Uh, I think that, you know, if I didn't, I wouldn't 
uh, I probably would never have written the best man if I had like earlier success on with my first screenplay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who knows, you know, what I would have, you know, uh, gotten to or, you know what I mean? Like, and, and if I had taken the, you know, one of these one, one or two of these blockbuster movies that had come my way, like who's to say that those would even been blockbuster movies. They might not have been a blockbuster in my hands. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I don't, I don't think that I would change anything because it's all kind of, you know, helped me to be the person that I am today. And I, and I, and I rather like myself. <laughs> we like you too. Can you tell us how you're connecting with the next generation of filmmakers and directors? Is there anything you're doing actively to, to bring in the new guard, so to speak? You know, it, um, funny that you say that, too, uh, I am, uh, I'm mentoring a couple of, um, uh, students who I, who I feel are, are talented, both, um, are, are, you know, actually, um, uh, friends of, or they're, 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 they're the, they're the children of, of friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to help mentor them in, 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 um, in filmmaking. And in fact, when I was shooting my, um, uh, when I was shooting my television show this week, I brought, you know, them by to just, you know, observe because I'm, I, I know when I was, when I was, um, you know, working on Spike's movies. I, I, you know, I worked on a number of them as a production assistant. And for anybody that, that knows what that is, it's a very thankless job. And you're a gopher for the most part. It wasn't until I got to be his assistant on the movie Clockers where I really got an appreciation for, um, movie, like filmmaking. Um, and, and, you know, the art of filmmaking, you know, the, the, being a PA is like the business, the mechanics of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it, when I was his assistant, I got to see how he works with, with, with actors and how he, you know, he, he, he interacts with the camera and how he moves the camera and what he wants, you know, on the set and what his vision is. And you can learn so much just by looking and observing that. You know, I think it's important for, you know, the people that I am talking to. And, and, and I'm also, you know, um, uh, working with um, the American Black Film Festival and McDonald's. This is my second year in, in a row working with them to sponsor a contest that McDonald's is sponsoring for um, in conjunction with the American Black Film Festival, um, which we have uh, uh, some, final, you know, the, the, the finalists that will that will enter this contest. I'm, I'm going to get to mention them. So it's um, I, I like to try to, like, bring along other filmmakers because, listen, I. You know, I, I, I'm not going to do it all myself, and I'd like to ha- you know, have more people who have diverse voices out there, um, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, and have something to say about the world that's not just archetypal or, or stereotypical. Um, is there a piece of advice you'd give to black filmmakers that they can only get from another black filmmaker? Um, I don't know. I mean... I, I think I think we as 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 black filmmakers are, you know, different in our own you know uh, mindset as well. I mean, I think that, you know, you're always going to get people, you know, the people, the, the gatekeepers, the 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 people, the executives, the 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 people who are in charge of the purse strings who are going to have an opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're telling a story from your experience, from your cultural perspective. Nobody can really tell that story like you. So you have to be able to stick to your guns about telling that story and how you want to tell it. That does not mean that, you, that you're pigheaded about it and that you're um, – don't listen to good advice. You take, it, you take what opinions matter. You address notes the way 
You should address no through your own filter. And and that's that, that that's that's something that has to be learned as well, like what to what to take and what to you know dismiss. Um, I think that you know one note is just an opinion. Two of the same note is a note. It's confusing people. It's bumping people. And unless you really have a strong opinion about why it needs to be X way, mm -hmm. you should listen to that note, or at least take it into consideration, because. Believe me, I you know when I was younger and even now, I'll and I'll hear an idea and I say, oh that's ridiculous, that's preposterous. I'm never going to do that. <laughs> and and then you, you you look at it and you say, well, maybe. What if I were to consider it? Every note is worth considering, even at least for you know five minutes. Say, okay, well, if I do that, what's that going to mean? But at the same time, you have to be strong in your conviction about what you want to do and how you want to do it. So. It's a it's a balance. And I always say surround yourself with people, you know, who are more experienced than you. I mean, meaning your yes. director of photography, yeah. your uh, your assistant director, your production designer, um, you, you know, uh, your producer. Um, you should always have people around you that have been around the track before um, right. because they're going to help you. They're going to help you achieve your vision. Um, we've been speaking with a lot of black female directors, um, Stella Maggie, Effie Brown, Leslie Harris, and kind of a through line that they've all had is that they've been asked to tone down the black women in their script and, or add yeah. men to make it more, uh, you know, appealing to a wider audience. Have you ever been asked to change a female character? Um, and I'll give you my follow-up. What do you think it is about black female stories that are so much harder to get out there than it is about black male stories? Well, because uh, you know, black women are are, are not they 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 they're, they're they're viewed in a certain way, you know, and it's like we you know we have to have enough we have, we have more black you know uh, female voices out there to dispel a lot of these notions mm. about what is considered a black woman. I mean, like mm. I think that you know I remember when I, speaking of scary movie five, like one of the things that happens in this in this genre, you know, in this movie is like you know. The white girl is like the the you know, the innocent one who and, and if she does something crazy it's it's like it's really um out of character. Mm -hmm. But it's like the black girl's gotta have attitude. And I'm like, Ugh, <laughs> I hate that word. The sassy black that's, girl. That's such a trope. Yeah. You know, worst. Finger snapping, neck waving, I'm like, no, I'm not doing mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um so that the, the, there needs to be more black female voices out there that, you know, give a, a broader perspective of what it means to be a black woman and, uh, and what all those, those things mean. Um, and how, and how, uh, you know, uh, they, they approach the world and how the world approaches them. Mm -hmm. So uh, have I ever been to, you know, I, I can I certainly have, have gone to, um, you know, to, to, to try to set up a screenplay or, or, or a project and, you know, maybe a romantic comedy and they're like, well, you know, does does the does the does the does the female lead have to be black? You know, Chris Rock talks about this all the time. Like, you know, about how many times he's been asked, does the does the does the, does the female lead have to be black? And it's like, I think part of it is, um, I think most of it, quite, quite honestly, I think most of it is 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 coming from an economic and business standpoint. Uh, but yet and still, it's still insulting. You know, because they feel like, oh well, you know, what black woman, unless she's like, you know. 
Nicki Minaj or Alicia Keys or you know Beyonce. Um, you know, she didn't have box office appeal. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like, so 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 I think some of it is coming from a, an economic place, but you know, at the same time, on the, on the other side, they make you know new stars out of white people all the time. Like, sure do. Television star, you know, it'll happen like that. Um, so you know, it it, it has to the narrative have, the narrative has to change. You know, there has to be more people that are pushing for um, diverse images, mm-hmm. um, gender diverse, racially diverse, and so on. I want to um, you know, wrap up this up and ask this one question because I feel like it's a very important thing to ask, and I, I really want to get your take on this as uh, a working filmmaker in Hollywood. Are you guys hearing an echo from me, by the way? Yes. yes. Yikes. Okay. Hello, hello. Your fiber optics are nervous. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going on? Okay. Looks like it's gone. So I know that your cousin, famed filmmaker Spike Lee, was pretty vocal about his opinions regarding the Oscar So White controversy and yeah. the problem with the lack of diversity in Hollywood among black filmmakers. Um, in the late 90s, when films like Best Man and The Wood and Love and Basketball. It was just like this large movement of great black films being made by black filmmakers. And today it's kind of sparse. It, it feels like we've relegated backwards. Why, why do you suppose that is? Uh, you know, I, I don't know that, it, that that's necessarily true. I mean, you know, I, I think these things go in waves. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember when, it, when, when Best Man Holiday came out. Um, that year, 2013, there were, and this is not a, a large number, but there were probably about 20 to 25 um, movies uh, by, for, or starring African-American actors that were all very different um, that came out that year. Uh, um, you know, whether we're talking about it was The Butler or Best Man Holiday or mm-hmm. 42 or uh, Fruitvale Station. Uh, I, I include Middle of Nowhere in there as well. Yes, you know, yes. There was there there was a, a diversity of product, which was like, okay, this was was what we've been waiting for, was been been hoping for. I feel like what's happening now, and you know, prior to if you remember, prior to 2012, and I'd say probably from around 2006 to about 2011. They were the only um, African American films that were making any money, and that were being made were Tyler Perry movies. And you know he was proving time and again to, to you know to you know have a, a, an audience that that would you know loyally come to his films. It, myself included, I was not getting that. You know, and and it got to the point where they the the, the studios said, well, black movies are or or so called African American or black movies are not a good business model. So we're not going to make them because black people aren't going to them. And here's the thing. A couple of movies didn't perform, you know, but so they say, okay, well, they, they, nobody wants to see them. We're going to stop making them. But it's like so many sci-fi movies and so many romantic comedies and whatever else, you know, don't work, but they don't say, oh, and they're starring white people. They're like, oh, we, we can't make those with anymore. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, they're not doing that. They, so they, but they love us. <laughs> so when, and, until something performs, 
then there was a time there where people were like, oh, well, black black movies are done. They're dead. I mean, these are black people talking about this, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. mm-hmm. I'll just star in like I'll just you know do a, a co, co uh, starring job on, on the the uh, the Fast and Furious franchise. And, you know, we'll get our we'll get black people in that way. So I think that, you know, there was a time where they weren't performing. And then like Jumping the Broom came out and it was like, oh. It made it like a like a, a blip on a radar. I was like, okay, well, here's an African American movie that people are going to, and, and so that led led the way for a few other movies to get made, including The Best Man Holiday, um, and you know it performed. Think Like a Man performed really well. There's all these movies mm-hmm. that performed really well, and like it things took off. So it was like every, when when Best Man Holiday like opened at thirty million dollars, they were like, hey, let's like there was. I bet you there were there were a ton of. Of, of production executives and screenwriters who were dusting off old scripts and be like, here, I got something just like <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yep. Because it's a copycat industry. Yes. And, um, what happens is um, they, try, they, try, they try to make that happen. So now what's happened is, yeah, there's a lot of uh, 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 movies that are trying to get made, but now that's it. once like something like Empire happens, where mm-hmm. it's wildly successful, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, it's like black people on television. Oh, my God. This, here's a business model we can latch on to. So right now, because of network television being what it is, uh, on-demand channels like you know Netflix and Hulu and whatever else is out there, Amazon Prime, you know, there, there's so many more outlets for actors to be in different things. And so I think that's affected the movie business to a degree, and it's also affected the television business in a big way. And I'm sure a lot of people are saying, you know, when's the next Best Man coming out? I'm like, well, when my actors stop doing TV, maybe we get it done. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because uh, everybody's employed. Yeah, yeah. People ain't hungry right now. They're like, yeah, they're they, they living high on the hog right now. So they're good. And television's got a lot of money. Yeah. That's something, though, everybody from your film is doing exceptionally well right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Indeed. Yes. Malcolm, thank you so, so much for being on our show. Before you go, can you just let our listeners know where they can um, find you on the Internet, your social media shout outs, and also when we can expect to see Barbershop Next Cut? All right. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Malcolm D. Lee. Same with Instagram, Malcolm D. Lee. Uh, and also on Facebook is uh, Blackmail Productions. That's B-L-A-C-K-M-A-L-E-D, Blackmailed Productions on Facebook. Uh, that's my production company name. Uh, Barbershop, the next cut is due April, due out April 15th. It is the best of the bunch. Go see it. Uh, helmed by yours truly. Um, you will have a good time. Pay your taxes and go to the movies. Yeah. Things that are inevitable in our lives, right? That's exactly right. (laughs) You must must pay your taxes and you must go see Barbershop, The Next Cut. And it'll be worth your time. I I think it's a good date movie. It's a a good movie for for the girls to go see, you know, as a group. The guys see see as a group. I think it's also a good family movie. There's a lot of good uh, father-son talk in the movie. There's a lot lot about that and the bonding of black males in general, but particularly fathers and sons. We need that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Thank you again. Appreciate it. My pleasure.
Chris is the founder of MovieTrailerReviews.net. Some of his podcasts include Insanity Check, Character Corner, and Movie Trailer Reviews. The MTR Premium Network has several shows, including Comic Book Club, Hell No Cupid, Reminiscing with Chris, and Scarestalgia. You can check out his website at MovieTrailerReviews.net with a whole host of podcast episodes featuring commentary on comic book pop culture as well as movies. And Chris is very engaged on social media and is known as at Insanity Report on Twitter. Hi everyone and welcome to the segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I am Joy and I'm your host and we have a very special guest. I can't even start with how many podcasts you have. It's okay. So Super Tuesday, you have Insanity Check, you have Hell No Cupid, you have Scarestalgia. I feel like I there's more than that, but those are the ones that are just on top of my head. The founder and the creator of the MovieTrailerReviews.net, I have Chris here. Chris, thank you for uh, taking time out to talk to me for a second. Yeah, no, thank you for having me, and don't feel bad. I don't remember how many shows I have either. <laughs> I was like, I was going through the ones that I just know, and I know I'm not even touching the surface of, like, premium, so in my head, I was like, okay, what are the ones that I definitely know I've heard mentioned on the podcast? There's probably way more than that. I probably didn't even touch the surface on. Yeah, because then there's, like, the movie reviews and the TV, like, even Super Tuesday has morphed into us doing just about every superhero tv show that's out there it's it's a lot i can only imagine because the amount of essentially nerd content and comic book content on television has grown exponentially so you guys started you guys started with what you started with agents of shield Mm -hmm. and now we have supergirl (laughs) now we have uh, legends of tomorrow we have flash we have arrow we had Agent Carter. That season's now over. They moved to Agent of Shield. Do you think there's going to be any more that's coming up in the horizon, or are you pretty much burnt uh, out at this point? You know what it is at this point. I'm looking at like even with Supergirl, if somebody else, two other people will record those reviews. There's a lot of other stuff, but I, I think I kind of like taking the break. So when when the Flash and Agent of Shield, which still takes it through May, like it's not like it's we're almost over. I think I kind of like just waiting till people. You know, let other people do it. Like, uh, I know Preacher comes out, and I'll probably just watch that. Because every now and then, I do so many reviews, sometimes I just want to watch a show. Right. You know, you just want to sit down, watch it, and enjoy it. Maybe I'll talk about it after it's over. I know we did that with uh, 12 Monkeys. I do that with a lot of uh, sci-fi shows. 12 Monkeys was a really great show. And so when it was done, I had to go find people who watched it, too, to talk about it. Because it wasn't even a review. It was just, I need some other people to talk about this stuff with me. So, yeah. No, I, I definitely feel that because when Agent Carter was on, at first I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, live tweet what's going on. But at some point I was like, I actually want to enjoy the show and pay attention. That's, that's the balance, I think. The balance is can you review it or recap it or live tweet it and still have fun? Like if you start finding yourself not having fun or enjoying it anymore, it could be the show's just not good anymore. Or it could just be that you need to take a step back and I've kind of stopped live tweeting as much because I just kind of want to sit back and enjoy it, you know? So it's kind of, it can be kind of hard. Like live tweeting can be, can be work. It can be distracting. You're too busy reading your timeline, not watching the show. And then recapping or reviewing can suck some of the fun out of it too. You know, I always have to check myself to make sure I'm still enjoying it. If I'm not enjoying it, I'll stop reviewing it. 
Right now, that's that's a good point. So we we kind of just like delve into the whole podcasting sphere and you owning all of these series. It's all under the movie trailer reviews kind of umbrella. What led you to even start movie trailer reviews? Critics suck. That's what it was. So what well, we used to do, we used to make a joke about how me and a friend would joke about how we thought that people would come and review movies and they just watch the trailer. And that's all the critics would do. So movie trailer reviews were just that. It was a YouTube series. We would go on YouTube. We would take clips of the trailer and we would review the movie based off of the trailer, having seen nothing else. <laughs> it was just silly. We eventually end up getting uh, going to early screeners. We would get these screen passes. We would go stand in line. The movie's at 7.30. We're, we're there at 5.30 to get in line and get a good seat. we go in and we look down at the, um, the press rows. And you're looking at their press rows, expecting these people to be like, oh, they're press, they're special. And honestly, it was mostly a bunch of people that didn't look like us. Mm-hmm. Mostly older white men. And most of them, for the most part, were kind of pretentious and didn't like the movie they were going to go see. So, you know, we're big on superhero movies. We review everything. But you can just tell the people, well, they're there. They don't care. They didn't care about the movie. They didn't want to see it. But they're there because somebody else, you know, the Times, the Sun, somebody else sent them to go watch the movie. So it was an assignment for them. It's work. For us, it was it was fun. We wanted to see this movie. And so that's what started, you know, movie trailer reviews for me was we eventually started reviewing them on our own. Then we were able to get press access ourselves. And we go to movies that we want to see. You know, I made a commitment that I'm not going to go see any more movies that I don't want to see. If I don't want to see it, I'm not going to it. What's the point? I go to most of the movies I want to see. And sometimes I go to see them, I'm really excited, and they're bad. And I'll say that. But I don't want to go to things like, who was it? There was a bunch of um, Tyler Perry movies at one point. And I was like, you guys got it. I'm not going to that. I don't like those movies, so I'm not going to go watch that and be one of the critics that I hate. You know, watching a movie that they absolutely hate and will never get a fair review to. So I'd rather not do that. So that's kind of where it started. And then from there, we just started doing TV shows and everything else. You know, I'd already been, even before we did movie to the reviews, I'd already been doing the Insanity Check, which was our podcast series. And so movie trailer reviews is kind of my way to kind of leave politics behind. So I'm talking about something that's more fun, you know? That's a definitely really good point of kind of picking and choosing what you're reviewing and honestly having fun with it because in kind of the monotony of doing a day-to-day, you can start to loathe what you're passionate about. I think that there's this idea that some of these critics just, they're, they're just regular people like us. Yeah. And you see, I even see when I go to conventions, like we'll go to conventions, like we'll go to Comic-Con, we're going back to San Diego Comic-Con this year, and you're back in the press rooms, and it's funny because people ask me, well, who are you here with? And I'm like, well, my own site, you know, movie trailer reviews. And they're here with somebody else, and they're sitting at a table, and they don't even know the show or the people that, that are showing up. Like, they were sent by their editor, they have a canned set of questions to ask, and it's so impersonal. Like, they have no... They have no real desire or want to be there. It's just an assignment for them. And it matters, you know? It matters in the type of questions that get asked and the rapport you have with the talent that shows up and, you know, what's going on. It matters to a person who is covering it doesn't want to be there or knows nothing about it. So So talking about covering, one of my favorite podcast series that you have is The Character Corner. And I assume that 
out of all of the prep work that you have to go into for your any of your podcast series, Character Corner has to be number one. I just saw you tweet recently that you added 24 gigs of Wonder Woman comics to start researching for the Wonder Woman Character Corner that's coming up. Yeah, on Saturday. Right. Yeah, that's why it was so ironic that you hit me up about doing this interview because, like I said, I'm we're literally you know preparing for our Wonder Woman series, and yeah, it's the funny thing about it, it's a lot of research, but it's also the most fun because it's the most free. Like we have another comic book show, so our premium show, Comic Book Book Club, where it's just one you know a couple volumes of a series, and that's it. We're just kind of right in there with the character corner. I want something to replace the comic book book club for people who aren't premium members, but still talk about comic books. And I always thought that, Hey, people are watching these, going to these movies. Everybody's always, Oh, well, I know what Wolverine does, or I know about this character. Or, Scott Lang's not Ant-Man, all this other stuff. Then you go to read the comic books. And you're like, Oh no guys, you guys just haven't been reading comic books in forever. So the idea was to kind of bring this stuff together and just start kind of delving into these characters that we're seeing that are getting on TV, that are getting in movies, and or just characters that people might be interested in talking about. Like I said, we're doing Wonder Woman. It honestly depends on the character we're doing and who's who the character's by. Like if it's Marvel, it's actually easier. Marvel has an unlimited app, so I can kind of just go in, and sometimes they even have, like when we did Scott Lang and when we did Sam Wilson, they actually had on their Discover page, read more about Sam Wilson or read more about you know Scott Lang. And for nine ninety nine a month, I can get like an entire back catalog of almost all of Marvel. So it makes it so much easier to find books. DC, a little bit harder. <laughs> I'm not gonna say I have to go the illegal route. Sometimes I do buy them. That's usually where we start from. Like Deepom is my, you know, my uh, my co-host and all this stuff, and he's he knows more about comic books than I do. So he usually starts me off with like a base. We'll get some a base of the comic books we want to cover. Obviously. Recovering, you know, when a character wants, you know, their origins and things like that. We don't want to be with the show a Wikipedia. Everybody does that. Everybody can go and look up and say, okay, first appearance of Wonder Woman's here. She got her lasso in this issue. And this, that's kind of boring. We kind of want to make it so that people find issues that kind of define the characters. So that when you're listening to our character corner, you're not just listening to learn about the character, but you actually want to go out there and read the books that we talk about. So, we always list all the books that we're talking about and the run, so you can go and find them, whether on the comic comicsology, whether in uh, Marvel Unlimited, and that way it kind of stays with you and it gets people kind of into reading comic books. Like we've had people who don't read comic books but watch the movies and they've been listening to things. Like our last one was our three part series on Doctor Doom. People love that. And they're like, I've never really read comic books, but now they want to read comic books because of what we've done. I'll go and I'll check forums, I'll check blog posts. Like I, said, I stay away from Wikipedia because that's kind of more generic. But I try to go to like places where, you know, fans of these characters are talking about like their favorite runs. Like, oh, I love reading this issue of about Wonder Woman or this Batman and Superman. They have a Wonder Woman uh, run where they did this and that. And so I like kind of doing that and kind of getting in where the fans of these characters are talking about what they like to read so that we can go and read them and discuss them and then, you know, bring in more people into to reading them. So personal story time. So I recently wrote a guest, well, it's not a guest piece. So I do work with Blavity and I wrote a guest piece for their weekly comic book series called Strictly for My Blurds because it's Women's History Month. It's all women who's covering 
the weekly series. And so I did mine on Amanda Waller. So I'm typing late last night coming from work. I actually listened to your character corner to figure out where do I begin (laughs) and which comic book. So I'm like in late at night downloading Secret Origins volume two uh, comics book number one through 50 to find like number, what was it? Number 14. To, yeah, to get her origin story. And I'm sitting here like, I wouldn't have been able to find it if I didn't listen to your character corner. That is a true story that happened to me last night. Yeah, the Amanda Waller one was, uh, or Amanda Waller Suicide Squad one, was really fun. Because I, I think it really kind of gave you insight into, like, what makes Amanda Waller. Yeah. And, and why some people, you know, didn't like the character on Arrow and things like that. So Yeah. yeah. So, this might be probably, like, picking one of your children because there's so many of them but what is your favorite podcast series to do or listen to now that you have some people taking over some of the podcasts that you have under the mtr mantle i guess the political answer would be like oh no none of them i can't this is character corner i've been saying it for the last two months like the character corner is my favorite one because it requires the least amount of work for me. I know that sounds crazy from the last answer I just gave about downloading 24 gigs of comic books, but I mean, honestly, it's fun. It's just because it's myself and Deepom, I don't have to worry about scheduling another host. All we really have to do is hit each other up and go, hey, you want to do one in two weeks? All right, let's do one. It's just a matter of going through and literally having fun. Like You research a character, you read about the character, I mean, and then you talk about the character. I mean, there's nothing else. There's no guy like, for movies. I got to drive out to the movie theater. For TV shows, I gotta get make sure that I watch the the episode before before we, we we can review it. I have to review every week. Like there's a set schedule for that. Even for like Supergirl, I mean, I love hearing you know the Doctor and, and Chana talking about Supergirl. Like I, I still have to edit that show, so it's still work for me. So, but with the character corner, it's literally just we got a bunch of books, read them, <laughs> enjoy them, and you know. My tail allows me to just swipe to take a screenshot. So as soon as I come across something I want to remember, I just swipe, get a screenshot, and then when it's time to do the show, I just go back and look through my screenshots and, and from there. So uh, it's definitely the character corner. It's the, the most stress-free show we do, and um, I think it's just fun. It's fun to talk about these comic books. It's fun to get myself back into comic books. I mean, I think it helps other people. We're going to do Black Panther and Magneto soon as well. So it's like you're getting all these, these books in there before people – go to watch the movie so they can kind of get a refresher or a primer on who these characters are. I think one of our, our biggest shows right now so far has been, especially this year, Deadpool. Right. Because everybody loves Deadpool, but, you know, we went through and we just gave people a bunch of books to read for Deadpool. And we just talked about how fun the character is. And um, it kind of leads into our premium shows, too, because we, for Deadpool, we talked about Deepon brought up how he was on um, in the Uncanny X-Men, uh, X-Force books. So Deepom and I this weekend, we read the first 19 issues of Uncanny X-Force. And so if you're a premium member, you get to hear us talk about that series, just particularly that series, on a comic book club. So it's, it's just, it, it leads to so many other things. It leads to so many other possibilities. There's a thread in our Facebook group where I swear people have given us 100 different, like, <laughs> suggestions for characters to do. And we're probably going to be backed up until for another two years. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the most fun I do. That's good. Well, you mentioned Deepom being kind of a frequent guest when you're kind of nerding out on the character corner. You have a lot of rotations of kind of a set group of black podcasters that you have come and stop by, whether it be for Insanity Check or 
one of the the movie reviews that you do or any of the various kind of podcast series that you have. Can you talk about how you developed your relationship with these other black podcasters kind of in this small independent media sphere? So I started podcasting back in 2008. It was just the Insanity Check. I had a, a website called the Insanity Report, and that was it. Honestly, most of the relationships I have with my closest podcaster, and honestly, most of them are, just, are friends. You know, I've never met Rod and Karen, but they are they are good friends of mine. It all started from actually both listening to me, or me listening to their shows. I'll never forget Rod hitting me up like a year before his show, really, you know, before his show, he started his show. Maybe not even a year, maybe about six months before he started his show, hitting me up asking me about, asking me for tips on how to set his podcast up. <laughs> you know? Right. Now he's got a bigger show than I do. Dee Palm was a fan. He was a fan that he listened to our shows. Uh, he was a fan of Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so when I needed somebody to help me review season two, he jumped in. And so he agreed to start doing season two with me. It's kind of gotten out of hand because now we review everything. It's Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., all the CW shows, it's me and Deep Palm have gotten way out of hand with our shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's a problem. We can't stop. We need an intervention. Like, we really, we really, really do. Like, our shows are cries for help because we have problems. <laughs> I don't even remember how Phenom and I became friends, but he's the only one I really know. Like, not the only one, but uh, I see him every week when we go to movie screeners. So, you know, he comes to my house, we chill. He's my... He's my road, my road companion when we go conventions. So when we do New York Comic Con, we're always driving up together. He takes photos. I do video. We kind of tag team everything for the site. And um, I have uh, Justin from Three Fifths, Sterling and Quita, and all them from uh, Game and Vince. Um, I mean, it just became they were friends of friends and listened to our podcast. I listened to them. I've come on their shows. They've become on mine. And we just kind of built that bond um i think also all of us that play xbox so that helps because you know you, you sit there and play xbox for hours and hours like there was one time i played uh destiny with uh i think sterling it was a nine it was nine hours so you're yeah. saying that the podcasters that x together stay together essentially yeah it's yeah. basically what it is yeah I, I remember when we first started all of us got together it was where's my 40 acres with phenom and them it was uh black eye tips and the media the same for we did um Four Loco podcast show. I remember this. Yeah, we did a we did a marathon show. And I think that's we had been talking before, but I think that's what really solidified us. Like once you get like completely wasted together <laughs> on a on a marathon podcasting, you can never go back. And so it was we did all three of our shows, and mind you, our shows go from two to three hours each. Right. So we did like an eight hour marathon of us drinking for loco and also podcasting at the same time by the time we got to to the last show speeches were slurred we were completely wasted it was bad but again once you do that that's how that bond forms and we've just looked out for each other all the time i mean i think you know we don't always all agree on things but i think our biggest thing is just to respect each other and to have fun like that's our our motto to go out there, have fun, and enjoy fun. And we all like the nerd culture. You know, let's just have fun doing it. So Nice. So one of the things that I love about the podcast and what kind of resonates with me when I listen to, particularly like Insanity Check, is you mentioning like little tidbit stories about your job. So you have a full-time job while having all doing all these reviews, all these podcasts, all these character corners, right? 
I also have a full-time job and (laughs) I do that plus writing plus now newly podcasting. So my question is, how do you balance all of that? I'm assuming you've been doing this for a while because you said you started essentially MTR since 2008. How have you been able to juggle the full-time nine-to-five grind and then have the energy to continue doing what you're doing with the MTR network? Wow, that's, um, you sent me this question before and I looked at that. I started to kind of jot down like how I could answer that and I, I'm still trying to figure it out, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I mean, there are, no, seriously, there are days, like Saturday, I end up recording with two TV show reviews and a Sandy check, and there's there's four shows this weekend. Sometimes there's four shows in, the, in a day. I honestly don't know how I do it. Sometimes I'm, I'm literally a walking zombie. But I think the biggest thing is, I love doing it. Every show I do, there's some, like, there, it never feels like, it's work, but it never feels like work I hate. Right. And so because I love doing it, I can go that extra time of not getting sleep. I can I can, you know, suck up that one day. And there's and there's perks to it. You know, I and I think that's the thing I look at also is the perks I get. Like I get to see Batman vs. Superman next Tuesday, you know? I look at that stuff and I'm like, huh, well you know what? I guess I can go without, you know, sleeping until one o'clock in the morning, you know? Uh. So <laughs> those yeah, those kind of things and it's just a balance. I think like I said, loving what you do is the most important thing. I've gotten way better at scheduling. So now I try to schedule out, like I've been working on March, the rest of March and some of April, scheduling out my shows so I know who's booked for when, when I'm doing it, how I'm doing it, and things like that, and try to get it on the calendar. It's about just taking time for yourself. Like I have no problem letting people know, hey, there's no insanity check this weekend. Or, hey, I need to take a break. There's no you know, premium shows this weekend or something like that. Like, I, I think that's the important piece of making sure that you're doing your podcast and you're doing your site. You also have your full-time job, but make sure you have some time for yourself. You know, and I think that's why the, the character corner is so much fun to me because I can kind of just go down this rabbit hole of reading comic books. And while it's technically research, it's also fun. I enjoy doing it. So I can kind of knock two birds out with one stone that way. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's, and depending on the flexibility of your job, it can be even harder. Like, I'm now back in the office. Before, for a lot of times, I was working from home. So it made it so much easier. Right. Now I have to, you know, I'm getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm getting into work early, coming back home, and then trying to set up and get everything together and still find time to eat right, you know, work out when I can, you know, play with my dog, and, you know, I have all the time. So it's making sure that you love doing it and then reminding yourself to have fun and to take time for yourself, have a vacation. Like we're going to San Diego comic-con this year. Again, last few years I've gone Wednesday to Sunday, you know, this year I'm doing Monday to Monday, you know, I'm out there early before the convention starts. I can take a few days to myself to kind of catch my breath, relax, take a vacation from work and then kind of go into doing um, the convention. Because I think so many people don't understand that I've been to the convention. They, they turn out to work. You know, I'm, right. I'm running around between, like, I think my calendar looks bad now. When it's Comic-Con week, our calendars are disgusting. <laughs> I share my calendar with Phenom, and we all look at it, and we're interviewed after interview after interview. And you do all the interviews, you're fun, you're happy, and then you come back and you're like, I have 200 hours of interview videos to edit and audio to sync up. I have um, interview videos from... From last year's 
uh, Comic-Con that I haven't, I haven't touched yet. Do you not hear my silence? Like, I'm like praying for you internally, just based on what you just told me. Yeah, it's, I mean, well, but that's the thing. Like, when we go to Comic-Con, like, Phenom takes over well over 200 pictures. I have gigs and gigs of audio and, and video to take, and you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision of what's worth it. It sucks because you've done all this work, you, you've taken all this video, and you think to yourself, man, you know, i got to put it up, right? Well, sometimes it might not be good enough. Or sometimes you take a, a round table, you know, a 10-minute round table, and all I, the only thing you, you really want is two minutes, you know? So you have to kind of pick and choose, and I'm getting better at that, and I think that's what also helps me be able to have a full-time job and do this, not feeling like I have to do everything, you know, because, you know, I can just go and, and take an interview, but if everybody had the same interview, there's nothing fun in it, and everybody else who's at Comic-Con or somewhere else had the same information, I'll skip it. You know, when I went to New York Comic-Con, we interviewed uh, Makai Brooks, who plays Jimmy on um, Supergirl. Right. He was really cool and really laid back. And he had somebody asked him a question about the watch, the watch he uses to call Superman or Supergirl and um, a couple other things. So I took those clips. I just used that. Like I had a bunch of other stuff, a couple other interviews from Supergirl panel. Those are the only ones I took, though. I took those, interviewed those, put those up. Those were fine, you know, but I have way more, you know, hours of video that I could have used. I have to make sacrifices. I, like, I, I'm only one person. I'm still a small site. We're still working together. So it's either try to rush and put everything up and get a small return and be completely, completely dead and have to go into work and work eight hours and do all that stuff or pick and choose what I want to do, put some small things up. You know, maybe later on I'll put the rest of the unedited stuff up later on if I want to. So, so you obviously mentioned, and I mentioned before, you've been around since 2008. And you guys have obviously grown both in terms of recognition, but also in terms of the amount of content you're providing. So my question for you is, what's next for the MTR brand? Like, where do you see movie trailer reviews going or headed in the next two to three years? moving more towards being the NTR network versus movie trailer reviews. Because we've gotten, we've outgrown the brand. We've outgrown just being movies and trailers and things like that. Like, we do comic books. I, I had a, um, a recent political interview I put up. You know, I did. So we're, we want to kind of make it the NTR network so we're, we're, we, co- we cover so much other stuff. In the next two or three years, one, would love to quit my job. Not going to happen, but would love to quit my job. <laughs> or something, something that can that can that allows me to have more time to do this. So that's one. And two, I was talking to somebody else about this earlier. I, I was getting a lot of um, South by Southwest press stuff. Think I would like to start doing more. Like right now, we kind of focus on the comic conventions, but I know we could probably get into, you know, other kind of film festivals, other kind of festivals that involve films and, and music and things like that so um, you guys definitely you know, can black girl nerds is at south by southwest right now yeah see the thing about it is and like it's not about access i know we can get access it's about do i have the time <laughs> to take it on like and that's that's where i i think coming the next two or three years like i'm trying to get more contributors i'm trying to get expand out and get more people to help out shanna's going to WonderCon in next weekend and uh, I would love to go to WonderCon, but I can't. Last year I did AwesomeCon here in D.C., 
We did New York Comic Con every year. We did San Diego Comic Con. Then I went to the D23 Expo because uh, they sent me an email and I applied and they gave me press. And I was like, okay, I'm going then. So I would love to try to do more stuff. Like I know there's um, the Toronto Film Festival. We'd love to try to do that. We'd love to try to do um, Sundance. So all these things I, I see emails for and I know I could probably get into. But it's a matter of I'm just one person and at this point. Do I really want to take all that on? Ooh, again, that's it's, true. It's, you know, it's like I said about the Comic-Con videos. You know, I have all this video and stuff like that. Like I did a, um, get into the point where if it's not me, I can send somebody else. So I guess in the next two or three years, I would love to expand it to the point where all of it's not on me. You know, this year might be the first that might be just getting an intern. <laughs> so That's a big but, deal. It is. That is a really um, big deal. I have about eight different email accounts <laughs> and just keeping track of our screeners for the week, booking guests for the insanity check, booking my panel for the premium shows we're doing, hear all of that. I, and then, and then there's just regular press emails. Cause once you're on a press list, you're on you, all the press list, <laughs> you're on the press list and you just keep getting, you know, all these emails and you turn people down. Like, yeah, it's just, it's so much. So, yeah, I would love to just get somebody to be like, hey, there's, here's an email account. You just look at this and tell me if there's anything important here, you know, and uh, go from there. So, like, we really started, I got in podcasting in 2008, but we didn't really start movie trailer reviews until, like, three years ago. That's where we changed from the insanityreport.com. And back then, we didn't get any emails. So there was no press emails. There was none of this. Now, I look at my inbox, and I'm disgusted. And I'm just like... Just, I close my laptop and I'm like, I'm not looking at this anymore. Those are good problems to have. And as someone who kind of came late to the MTR network train, I started listening, and don't judge me, I started listening, first thing I listened to was the Age of Ultron movie trailer review. Hannah God, that was the first thing I've ever heard from you guys. I thought it was so hilarious just having like a group of people just kind of, kind of talking. More importantly, I love to hear reviews from people that look like me and who give like honest not only honest reviews but ones that have actual facts and receipts attached to it they know the content behind the scenes to be able to to hear that and be like oh this person actually knows what they're talking about when they're talking about comic books or this person actually did their you know did their googles before <laughs> they uh did the review something i appreciate it like i said i think it's because we go to these different conventions. Like, I'm so excited about this year's Comic Con because uh, San Diego Comic Con. Sterling from the Black Eye uh, from um, Gaming Then some they got they got press passes. I know um, Chris uh, CJ and them from Three Black Geeks is going. They got press, so I'm really excited this year to get more people who look like me, black people and people of color going into the who own their own sites. Like you can go to San Diego Comic Con and see you know people of color. But usually, they're, a lot of times they're working for bigger sites. They don't own the site they're working for. It's different when I go to New York Comic Con. New York Comic Con is way more diverse, I feel like, in terms of press. When I go to San Diego Comic Con, it's not unheard of for me to be like one of the only you know people of color with his own site, you know, sitting there. A lot of other times, it's oh, who's professional too. Because some people are out there, and they you can just tell they're just happy to be there, which is fine. But I'm there, but I want to be treated just like everybody else's press. Like I'm. Right, to me, we're just as good as anybody working for IGN. If not more, because we can be, we're not there just to get hit. We're there to have fun. We're there to be professional, but enjoy the stuff we're covering. I like seeing more of us out there. Cause I think it matters. The officer's so white issues going on with that. And I was telling people, it's like, 
it's across the board. It's, you know, when you don't have, you know, critics and, and writers and people, you know, who are watching these movies, understanding the issues here, you know, they're not going to get recognition. Well, I didn't think it would, should have been picked for best picture. Straight Outta Compton has some really great acting in it. Like, those guys, they really pulled off being Easy e Dr. Dre, and, you know, and Ice Cube. I mean, it's just, they pulled those roles off. And I thought about it, I'm like, wait, you know what? If you're a white guy who doesn't know who NWA is, you're not going to understand how, how good those performances are. Right. You're not going to understand that. And it's not racism. It's not the fact that you're racist or you're you're trying to hold back. You just don't have the cultural background to understand the significance of, of what they did. And so that's why it's important to see more of us out here and doing this with comic books and, and everything. And comic books was my escape. You know, I never had anybody really talk about stuff, you know, like this. I like Star Trek. You know, I'm playing, I'll play a basketball game and go home and watch Star Trek with my dad. You know, that that was me. And I liked watching sci-fi because, you know, with all the problems of diversity and stuff like that, sci-fi, comic books, stuff like that, were still the few places where I could see somebody look like me. The internet and Twitter and in podcasting has allowed me to be introduced to people who enjoy the same thing I, I do. You know, you asked me about my relationship with other podcasters. I'll never forget, I did a show with Rod one time. He was about to say something, he was like, you guys are going to judge me, but man, you know what? You know that Doom movie with The Rock? I kind of like that. And I was like, dude, I know it's not good, but I like it too. And we kind of, we had a bonding moment over this not really good movie, but we both liked. And um, it feels good to to have people who like you enjoying the same things you do. And you can have, we're going to be able to talk about them and have fun with them, you know, so. So obviously tell us where we can find you on the interwebs. Give us your social media shout outs. Yes, the website, movietrailerreviews.net, or you can go to mtrnetwork.net. Like I said, hopefully within a year or two, we'll transition to just the mtrnetwork.net. On Twitter, I'm at Insanity Report, and then you can get all of our podcasts. Like I've, I've gone the extra mile to make sure that all of our different podcasts are on different feeds as well. There's a main feed you can search for Movie Trailer Reviews for. And if you search for Movie Trailer Reviews on, like, if you're on iOS – the podcast app or RSS radio on um, there's beyond pod and podcast attic on Android and obviously Stitcher. Uh, you can just search movie trailer reviews and you'll see all of our stuff kind of pop up on there. We have feeds for the insanity check feeds for the character corner feeds for super Tuesday recap. Yeah. There's a feed for everything. So everything we have, and there's one big giant feed that puts everything on everything in there. Um, I don't recommend that just because there can be weeks where we have nine episodes in a week. <laughs> yeah. So it might be better to follow the different feeds. Just so you don't miss anything. We have something for everybody. If you like movies, we have movies. If you like TV shows, we have TV show reviews. If you like comic books, we want to learn more about comic books, we have that. And the insanity check has basically been, even though I'm not happy about this, it's basically been politics for the last month because, well, you know, <laughs> it's election year. So there's, there's that. There is that. There's that. Yes. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me. In our final segment, Karan, Kayla, Joelle, Gabrielle, and I talk about two major topics that is the talk of the town in the geek subculture. Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Season 2 of Daredevil. So we talk about everything from what we liked to what we didn't like, Batfleck, 
Daredevil season two, what was problematic with various plot lines, what was really compelling with respect to the addition of Frank Castle as the Punisher, as well as Elodie Young's interpretation of Elektra. So take a listen to this fun segment where we just all geek out over Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, as well as season two of Daredevil. Thanks so much for tuning into this segment of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. We are going to talk about some geekified things, okay? So some films and some TV shows have been the talk of our subculture as of late. The Batman vs. Superman film got everybody in their feelings right now, very polarized views, and also Daredevil Season 2. A lot of people have some some feedback and some comments about that, and we're going to talk about all of those takeaways here. I have Karan, Kayla, Joelle, (laughs) and new BGN podcast co-host, Gabrielle. Gabrielle, welcome to the show. Hello. (laughs) Thank you. All right, so let's get started with Batman versus Superman. <laughs> I feel like it's one of the most controversial movies that have come out this year. So, first of all, what, what did you guys think? What, what did you, let's do it this way. What did you like about the movie, and what did you dislike about the movie? We'll start with Karan, Kayla, Joelle, and Gabrielle. Okay, what did I like about the movie? The opening sequence was beautiful. That whole pearl drop thing was so in my soul, but... Yeah. um I saw the movie in IMAX in 3D. I thought the oh. effects were amazing. Huh. Um, that, for me, made it worth it. What I didn't like was there were so many inconsistencies with the actual story of Batman versus Superman. I was a little confused about not seeing any black people in Africa again. <laughs> <laughs> like, not one in Africa. I know. So um, were they in South Africa or something like what what was going on? No, I don't I don't remember what country they were in um, when the desert scene. Yeah. Yes, the desert scenes. They were fighting in Africa and there was not a single person of color. Well, they were people of color, just not brown color yeah. in sight. No black people. Not even in the fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess Lawrence Fishburne and, you know, an occasional cameo by somebody else is all they need but I, I was just a little that was something that my 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 grandson noticed well to credit Zack Schneider's consistency it is a Zack Schneider movie <laughs> <laughs> there, there were a couple of other things I liked you know Superman is fine they shined up his suit they put some oil on it and add a little gator for textual yeah. integrity um Kevin Costner can still get it um yes <laughs> Yeah, um, Wonder Woman gave, gives good face. The girl's gorgeous, and those labels worked for me. The dresses were hot. Um, what I didn't like was that she was pretty much reduced to the dresses and a yell with a sword. So, But, you know, we'll get into that a little later. Jason Momoa is touched by the Lord, and he can do anything. So I think, you know, just that little piece with the hair was everything to me. Yes, you know, Jesus. and what oh, it was Lord. It was just, it was really very, very touching to my spirit. It got way down in my spirit. Um, <laughs> I did not love Lex with hair. I, I, I'm not getting that whole thing, but you know, I, I, overall. It was okay. I thought visually it was stunning. Um, mm-hmm. IMAX in 3D has made me reconsider my entire bedroom to make it a cinematic experience. Um, but other than that, I thought there were some inconsistencies with the storylines, with the character development and the writing. And, you know, mm-hmm. but that's just me. 
Okay. So, for me, I liked the movie. I did like it. It entertained me. I'm not... I've never been a huge Superman fan, and I think that's a lot of people. It's like, for me, Superman was... He's that... He's that kid on the playground. Well, oh, you're oh you're super fast. Well, I'm super fast too. Oh, oh, well, you can stop this. I can stop this too. So I've never been a huge fan of Superman, but I was excited because I love Batman, and so that was my pull into going to the movie. So I did like it. It did entertain me. But what I didn't like was what Karan said. Wonder Woman was reduced to what she was. And I know we're getting a Wonder Woman movie, but I want to see more. Mm. And I think that for me, and then also, you know, I'm I'm sick of not seeing myself. So I don't know. I don't know why I keep going into these movies thinking I'm going to see somebody that looks like me, and I don't. And that's frustrating for me. Had they gone, and I know it would have been like an uprising, but had he decided he's going to, I feel like it would have been better if we had gotten a Wonder Woman of color, and I, like, if she had been black or Latina, it would have been so interesting to see, but we didn't get that. So, yeah, I... And we didn't get it in Gotham, in Metropolis, or in Africa, so, you know. Yeah. And, and I cannot see myself, so that's, that's my biggest thing with disliking the movie. Um, and I'm so sick of the awkwardness that is Jesse Eisenberg. Especially <laughs> as <laughs> like he is the male version of Kristen Stewart and it it oh. is Wow. You know, I don't Okay, I'll wait I'll wait till everybody gets in. I, I have a few comments about that. But... <laughs> I'm sorry, is that horrible? And I mean and that is horrible, horrible. yeah. I don't think it's that bad. I really don't. It's the whole oh oh. I guess I I'm I'm kind of like this, but I'm not. And and he does it in every role, and I get it. That that's his thing. But at least okay. And people have said, oh well, Michael Sarah is like that. Yeah, but Michael Sarah is funny, and Michael Sarah <laughs> don't do me that every time, and then not entertain me. Even as a animated bird. Jesse Eisenberg does that. And I was not thrilled when they even announced him as Lex Luthor. I was like, oh, God, why? But okay, this is where we're going to go with it. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. And yet again, you know, yeah, yeah, that's my piece. I'm, I, I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't with him. And I know it, it might be horrible, but I, that's how I feel about him, especially within that role. I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> this this is Karanik. This is Karanik in real quick. Why didn't the Asian girl who was playing his assistant have a name? You know how they treat Asian it's, characters. The in thing these is, comics. I feel like that assistant was based off of a character. I can't be a hundred percent sure. She he has like a robot assistant who's also an assassin. And I thought mm-hmm. that that was her the whole time, and I was really excited for it. I was like, let's do this. I hope she kicked ass. And then, like most of the women, nothing happened. Nothing. Mm-hmm. It's no story. <sighs> Disappointing. Disappointing. I can keep what I liked and what I didn't like real simple. I have to disagree with all of you. What I liked was Wonder Woman. She yes. shined. My heart almost burst out of my chest every time she showed up. I was like, this woman is gold, and I cannot 
wait for the Wonder Woman movie. What I disliked was literally everything else. <laughs> I'm so mm, many confused with this movie from start to finish. It's a hot mess of just too many characters, too many plot points, and not enough focus. Mm. Um, except for, I will say, I thought Batfleck was fine. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed his interpretation of Batman. I thought he was going to be too juiced. Actually, it didn't bother me. I thought they used his figure really well to be intimidating and kind of how he lurked in the shadows. It, it was it was nice. I think they made that work. Everything else is crap. Period. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. I think Batfleck was like schizoaffective Batman. I didn't understand. He was kind of a punk. He whined through half of the movie. And even, I mean, there's a big difference between Batman and the Dark Knight. But the Dark Knight is not a whiner. He whined through the whole movie mm. until he said he he was well, let's whining. Get, let's get Gabrielle in on this. What did you think, good and bad? I think that they were not ready to make this movie. <laughs> <laughs> They should have, um, I, I really think they should have just went ahead with another S- Superman standalone movie and like you could have did a cameo with Batman, but they weren't ready for this. They were, they were too excited to get ready for the new Justice League movie. You know, they were too excited to, uh, they, they did that thing where this is like a bridge movie. So you can see, oh, we're going to have a Flash movie. We're going to have a cyborg movie without actually making a Batman versus Superman right. movie. Mm-hmm. And I would say the, the, uh, two of the parts that just like really was weird for me was, um, the scene with Flash, like the Flashpoint Flash being like, Lois Lane is the key, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. Bruce was just kind of like, that was weird anyway. <laughs> and, you don't, read comic books you have no idea what's happening there yeah, yeah. <laughs> like oh it's like a dream and i'm like nah that's not it at all but okay we'll I go with that because you have no other explanation <laughs> and the spear that part uh no. <gasps> <laughs> so yeah. bad yeah oh. i didn't even know that that was the flash until someone told me after the movie ended yeah i was like well where was the flash cameo he's like you don't remember it was the scene and you know in the surveillance camera and i was like oh i just With saw the some, lightning bolt yeah i just saw some random guy like disappear i it, it did not he was connect. cute though ezra miller is everything he's cute yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not here for an emo flash i'm sorry i want grant <laughs> <laughs> he has long dark hair, but I don't know if he's emo. He's still that he cannot not be the heart of the team. Don't uh, do that to Ezra. I want Grant to be in the cinema universe, but I know that's not happening. But anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, I I agree with um, Joelle's points. Wonder Woman was like the highlight of the movie, and to Kayla's point about um, women of color, um, I always hear about folks saying I want a black Wonder Woman, I want a black Wonder Woman. I want Nubia because (laughs) Nubia is a canon character in DC who is Diana's twin sister and she's a black woman. So um, I always, you know, kind of cringe a little bit when people say they want a black Wonder Woman when there is already a black comic book character in the Wonder Woman universe that nobody seems to acknowledge. So um, it would have been nice to have seen Nubia in the Wonder Woman Film. I don't know if she's going to be announced later on because we're not getting all of the um, specifics on that. But um, and then as far as Gal Gadot is concerned, I think she may identify herself as a woman of color um, because she is Israeli. She, she is Israeli. And when I had 
done the press conference and had talked about Black Girl Nerds being a website for women of color, she actually did like the raise the roof <laughs> international symbol <laughs> when I mentioned that. So I, I think she acknowledges herself as a woman of color. But I, I think overall the movie was just a hot mess. There was too many plot lines going on. Yeah, I felt like it yeah. could have been two separate movies between the story mm-hmm. arc of Lex Luthor and Batman, Superman, Martha situation going on. And then also the fight with Doomsday. Like, I don't think the fight with Doomsday could have happened, should have happened in this movie. I felt like that could have happened in another film. There has been a boring fight. Where was Batman when Doomsday showed up? He was just like, and I'm out of the way. Mark Leaves to go save Lois? I don't even know. That annoyed the crap out of me. It was so bad and such a mess. And Wonder Woman looked awesome, like, pulling him down and using her lasso and everything and, and, like, just trudging into war. I thought that was really cool. But Doomsday is supposed to be this, like, impossible defeat, like, crazy huge beast. And I just never felt intimidated. Yeah, and I didn't feel intimidated by Lex Luthor. I thought that this was the worst performance of Jesse Eisenberg's Mm. career. Um, I was... I was supportive of Jesse Eisenberg when they first announced his name. Like, everybody on Twitter was like, no, no, he's going to be terrible. And I was like, you guys, remember Social Network? I feel like he's going to be able to channel Lex Luthor in a very unique way. I think this is going to be good. But it was just too over the top, too, I agree with a lot of folks on social media saying it's very jokery. Um, it was too much. Like he, he was tried. a whiny he wanted little Heath, and that wasn't going to be what it was. He tried those jokes and the way his cadence. He was trying to pull Joker, and it irked me. I didn't I, like that. Yeah, I think I, he turned he turned Lex Luthor into a paranoid schizophrenic savant. Oh, it was like oh, you didn't yeah. know what he was saying, what he was thinking, and Lex Luthor has always been cruel and calculated and cool. He always kept his cool. And when he lost it, he would lose it in pure evil, not in confusion. Yeah. Yeah, and he's the master plan maker. Like and he makes yeah. dumb consistently. Consistently. And in here he always felt like a whiny child. But I have to say, I feel like I can't blame the actors for anything that happened in here. These roles were written most like before they got anywhere near it. And you you don't I mean Sometimes the actors do get to write dialogue. I don't know if that was the case in here. I have a hard time. Like, Amy Adams is a stunning actress. She yes. sucks this. She's This is the worst affront to Lois Lane, maybe ever. Yeah. But they didn't really yeah. give her much to do. I feel like that was a script mm-hmm. problem with Amy they Adams. They let her be role. rescued a lot. Yeah, she was the damsel in distress during the whole damn movie. And I'm oh, like, come oh, on now. Oh, you got to give oh. Lois a little bit more agency than that, you know? You got to give lot more agency lois is the thing that keeps superman grounded she is right strong and such and she gets so much respect from everybody and you don't get that like tall statuesque like people are a little afraid of her lois lane which is lois lane i love and and especially as like she's the creator of superman's you know wife in cartoon form like Mm -hmm. she's so and i just hate the the disrespect to her in this film I hate how they had her keep asking for permission. Lois Lane never asked for permission. Yeah. Ever. Exactly. They had her continually asking for, like, even even in her relationship with the Daily Planet, she was constantly asking for permission to do stuff. My Lois Lane would have gone and gotten that chopper. She didn't. Mm-hmm. Just, she would have told them land on the roof and then told them afterwards, oh, yeah, I got the chopper. I'll be back. 
I just I they yeah. they just they reduced all of the female characters and and it's not that I didn't like Wonder Woman because her entrance was flawless, okay? Into her entrance in every scene she was in was amazing, but it was a fashion shoot. Hmm. Even even in action, it was the 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 poses, every time she struck, every time she took a strike, I mean it was gorgeous, but I wasn't there for gorgeous. But I can you could say the her. same thing as far as Superman's concerned, I feel like he yeah. poses in a lot of shots too. Oh, well, <laughs> well don't which I don't anything. mind. Yeah, they old up their suit. <laughs> <laughs> they made Superman shinier. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say with the bathtub scene. If you guys remember when Lois yeah. is just in the tub for no apparent reason, and bringing up these really important points to Clark, of which real Lois again would never back down from. Right. Ever. But then he just kisses her and like. This really valid point of like, can you be in a relationship with me and still be the hero the world needs? Never gets readdressed, never gets retouched. It's just this is what Superman decided to do. So this is what we're doing. You know, the only thing I thought when when like in that scene when you know he had gotten into the tub, all I kept thinking was, who's gonna clean it up? You know, the tub scene really bothered me because I'm like, who does that? It irritated me. Who gets into a tub with their shoes, their work boots? No. And then Lois was okay with it. Like I don't know, but then again, Ew. if if Henry Cavill did that to me, then I probably would be okay with it. I'm not gonna. Lie. I'd be okay. Yeah, I could, I, could, I, I could deal with that. Henry Cavill. I mean, like really, it, it wouldn't be hard to deal with at all. So, how did you guys think Batfleck did? Ben Affleck as Batman as Bruce Wayne. What were your thoughts about his performance overall? I liked it. I liked it. I, I, it's not my Batman. And here's what I mean by that. I like a more cerebral Batman. Mm. I like a Batman who's mm-hmm. more detective than action crime fighter. But that's just me. Those are the books I prefer him in. That being said, I think he makes a lot of really strong choices as Batman. Um, and then once again, I just have to let, there's too many guns for Batman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It, it makes me a little ill. Um, and the, and for him to pick up a pistol and then shoot at people, I was like, do you even what know this that? man? What is happening? <laughs> what are those? All, all those, what are those? All those toys, and he uses a gun? Really? Ugh. Come on. I thought Bat, I thought Batfleck wasn't bad. I thought in, in the context of, of Batman, he was a good hybrid between Batman and the Dark Knight. But it was a hybrid between the Batman and the Dark Knight. And I think a decision should have been made which way he was going to go. We saw the compassion with him saving people. And then we saw, you know, the the, the fight scene, you know, the extra suits. The, I was like, you know, it's it's a bit much. And I thought he was just, he seemed so indecisive throughout the whole thing. He just seemed like he couldn't make up his mind. And his mother's name was the thing that brought him around. I mean, oh, come on. That was a week. Ever. That was awful. That, that was a weak plot point. Executed. Like all that of this time, executed. he's going after Superman, and then the one thing that breaks him down is your mom's name is Martha too. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like let's be friends. So you mad, right? You mad, but your mama's name is Martha, so I'm gonna leave you alone. And I had a problem with him using the hookah version of Kryptonite. <laughs> if you're gonna poison, if you're gonna poison Superman, don't do it with a vapor. <laughs> do you even vape bread? You had a rock. You had a rock 
but you chose to use the hookah version and put him in a vapor. That's how he kept regaining his strength. It was, it was, he kept using this vaporized version of kryptonite. So he was able to bounce back quicker, but it didn't make any sense, man. If you're going to poison somebody in the fight, poison them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got the reason for doing it up front. It's like a long distance thing. You can't get up close to Zebra Man and expect to win, but if I hit him from afar, but then you never go in for the kill strike. That fight never feels like it reaches. A climax, which is disappointing as hell. And, oh my gosh, the animated version of the Dark Knight fight scene was so gruesome. And they're both left, like, bloody and exhausted. And it's such a cool scene. And we just don't get that here. And then to to trudge from that into the Doomsday fight, like, what a mess. What a mess. It was so not needed. It's the thing that had brought them together. I think it would have worked a lot better just rising action wise to be like, we still are pissed at each other, but we have to save the world from that. Right. Yeah. First. Yeah. Uh, it just, it just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Uh, Gabrielle, what did you think about Batfleck? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have to see him in his own movie to, to, for him to, you know, be redeemed. You know, to because I wasn't really for him as Batman, and in this movie I was kind of just like I don't know he's a little bit flat, and I think with the you know not knowing what to do with his character made it like okay I feel like that's Zack Snyder's fault, so maybe mm. with his own movie we can really see you know his character, we can see what type of we can see the you know the detective. And the action hero, hopefully. And so, uh, right now in this film, mm -mm. (laughs) Gabrielle, do you think the Ben Affleck written Bat script would change your mind? Um, it could if if they do it well. Yeah, I, you know, I felt like Ben really redeemed himself, and social media should really eat crow because everybody. Everybody was like, all of this faux rage, oh no, Ben Affleck is going to be Batman, it's going to be terrible. He did a fantastic job. I was just amazed by his performance. Um, we did give him a hard time. We, we did. We really did. And, um, you know, his Bruce Wayne could have been a little better. Like, you know, you've got to compare Batman in a different lane than Bruce Wayne because they're really yes, two yeah. separate, you know, kind of characters. But I really would have liked a more charismatic Bruce Wayne but overall, I, I really thought that Ben Affleck did a fantastic job, and I hope folks will realize that, you know, this this Batman is the Batman that we're going to be seeing for a while, and to just own the fact that he's done a phenomenal job. So I'm, I'm glad that Ben Affleck did the damn thing, and I, at first was just like, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic. I wasn't a naysayer, but I wasn't like a 100% supporter. I'm going to be cautiously <laughs> optimistic. And he he came through. So good for Ben on on this role. And I thought his uh, chemistry with Alfred was some of the best Batman-Alfred stuff we've seen on screen in a long time. Yeah, I agree with that. They really gelled together. You felt like this man raised the other. And I thought that was cool. There was, did it feel like some of the scenes were redundant between Alfred and Bruce? Like there why was... were they even there? <laughs> <laughs> I like the energy from them, but they plot-wise, no sense. We yeah. don't need any of this. Well, every time we saw Alfred, it was because Batman fell asleep at, on watch. I don't. He well, was like waking up 
every time we saw Alfred. Alfred had to continue to convince him that, you know, he's not evil, that he's fighting for good. Like this whole bad versus good thing kept emerging as like a story arc between them two. And they mentioned it in one scene. And then there was another scene with them where he's looking at himself in the mirror. And I'm like, didn't we just have this conversation 20 minutes ago? So, right, but I didn't. I didn't see that struggle. I didn't see that struggle manifest in Batman. I didn't see that as an internalized struggle. I saw that as a problem with everybody else had with him. But I didn't see that as a struggle with Batflat. I would agree completely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did. He, he steadfast in what he was doing. But that's okay for me. I don't need a Batman who's questioning or struggling with his identity because I don't think that, especially this age, Batman, and based off the source material, he wasn't really a person who. Was questioning. It would have been nice to see uh, Alfred attack that issue in another way mm-hmm. instead of just bringing it up to him. Like, hey, maybe we don't kill. Yeah, maybe yeah. we don't have sense. Um, but but I don't. I think that a strong choice for Batman is just to be like, no, this is probably the best thing. I'm just doing this. Yeah. But who who knew Ben Affleck was that buff though? He got the buff. He got more. He was yeah. he was strong. He was real mm-hmm. strong. Those yeah. shoulders went on forever. Yeah. And, <laughs> and long that, wingspan. And that scene, that scene with Clark with the shirt off. Shout. <laughs> I was like, thank you, thank you for uh, paying service to the to the female fans of, of Batman and Superman. Girl, the pull-ups, girl. Yes, shout. Mm. So yeah, that the whole was... workout reminds me a lot of Arrow. The whole, like, where he had the chains, like, tied around his neck and he's doing pull-ups. Like, this is a whole lot borrowed from Arrow season one. They, they need to take that salmon ladder. They really do. <laughs> I'm so disappointed that the salmon ladder is not getting any love this season on Arrow, I just want to say. Um, anyway, so any final thoughts about Batman versus Superman before we move on to our next topic, which is season two of Daredevil? Pick better I- villains. Yes. I mean, yeah. again, I just felt like Doomsday, we didn't need him in this movie. You didn't meet him. It was just no. too much. And and then another thing about Doomsday, if you didn't read the comics, you wouldn't have picked up on it. But if you read the comics, people know that Doomsday, spoiler alert, um, is responsible for the death of Superman. And they actually showed Doomsday in the trailer. So I thought that was a major faux pas of Warner yeah, Brothers I was to like, reveal Doomsday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. Who said like there's in every scene you're like I've seen this before. They showed a little bit of literally the entire movie, and it left a, like a lot. It couldn't. It's hard to get excited about new things. Like it would have been great if they hadn't announced Wonder Woman. I think like people still would have showed up, and then it would have been twice as exciting to be like, oh my god, she's Wonder Woman. And yeah, the showing of Doomsday was a terrible, terrible decision. I yeah. wanted to, I wanted to see that development. I mean, when I saw Zod, General Zod's face for the first time, I was like, "Oh yeah, we're about to get into it." And then it was like nothing. And then this big creature shows up that's supposed to be Doomsday, and they hadn't laid a foundation. They didn't do anything to connect those dots at all, and I was so disappointed because I was pumped for that, and I I just didn't I didn't get it. What's funny is that um, when we were watching the trailer and they showed Doomsday, um, my boyfriend got up, walked out the room. He's like, well, know what's going to happen now. And I was like, yeah, they kind of. Exactly. Exactly. He was like, well, there's he's like, am I going to pay? Am I going to go? I know what's going to happen. And I, 
I feel like when that happened, I was like, well, I mean, okay, why would you do that? And I think that, and people get mad with the DC versus Marvel thing. That's where Marvel has perfected it. And you would think that by now DC has picked up on how successful Marvel has become with theirs and what Mm -hmm. they give out, what information they choose to give out at what point in time and how they create these trailers to get people to go to the movie. But DC hasn't, for whatever reason, they're still not picking up on it. So I'm still going into Suicide Squad optimistic. I'm still anything and Wonder Woman. I'll still go into that optimistic. But I went into this like, let's see. I I feel bad because anything that I'm going to do as far as Batman, the last I'm always going to go back to the Dark Knight and be like, okay, am I going to be as compelled as I was you know, six or seven years ago and leave a movie theater and feel as great as I felt leaving those movies, even though it's a completely different thing, but we were given what we were, what we wanted and I didn't get what I wanted from this movie. So I was disappointed. I was walking out. It was good, but it, you just walked out and you're like, meh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I, th- I think it's, it's, what DC has an issue with is that they are trying to be a part of the cinematic universe, but they haven't put in the, they haven't started putting in the work that Marvel has. Mm -hmm. Like Marvel has started years ago to bring a movie out every year, almost two movies a year. And DC hasn't really done that. It what we got Superman back in 2013 and it took them like three years to do another one. You know, they have to build up the, you know, and so, you know, they can build up those fans to want to come to the movies without, you know, exposing so much in a trailer to get them to come. And so, I don't know, it's like, what what do they got, you know, happening next year? Are they going to bring out two movies next year? Are they going to start building that franchise? And it needs to start now if they want somebody to come to the Justice League movie after we watch, you know, this pre-Justice League movie. I think DC also has a versatility problem that Marvel solved long ago. Marvel was mm-hmm. like, like, you want, like, magic? We got that. You want, like, <laughs> spy detective? Sure, taken. Like, mm-hmm. we've got a whole gamut of, of types of movies you can see if the superhero genre isn't your style, but DC's so stuck on the bro superheroes of, like, the 90s, like, super jacked, like, really, really dark kinds of films which have an audience and I can enjoy but I've had so many iterations of Batman it would be cool if in the films they could explore any kind of those I'd love a detective Batman movie Mm -hmm. I would love that I would like to see like a gentle Superman who isn't like out to kill but is you know wants to stop a girl from committing suicide on top of a building like we have so many different types of stories, and they just refuse to address any of them cinematically. And I think it's it's a huge failing on their part. And also the tie-ins. Like, Marvel is so keen on having these great tie-ins from the cinematic universe to the TV universe with the Netflix shows. And um, everything is sort of intertwined and connected. And when you get to see mm-hmm. those Easter eggs, you get so excited mm-hmm. about it. And you won't get to see that in the DC universe. And it's just a shame that they decided to go in a different direction with that because it, it works so with the way Marvel is handling it. Um, but, you know, to each his own on, on that. I, I wanted to bring up one more uh, cameo appearance that I got, like, super excited about. And, like, 
I was rocking in my seat in the theater when I saw it was the uh, Justice League cameo of Cyborg. And mm-hmm. his father, yes. Victor's father, played by Joe Morton. Yes. Uh, amazing. I was just like, oh my God, Joe Morton's going to be in Cyborg. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's cool to see that like um, creation of Cyborg finally in cinema. You know, we've seen it in the cartoon and several times in comics, but to see, like, you're like, that's Cyborg. Like, what is happening? This is so cool. I'm really excited to see what I'm really I'm nervous that especially if Snyder's involved, that he will be the black character. I hope not. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm struggling with it. I'm struggling. I hope that they go the, the Black Panther Luke Cage route and just have a black you know, director, black yeah. producer in charge. Cause he's to us. Yeah. He's for the love of God. Just give it to a black person. Just please. Do <laughs> Just do it. Get her done. Get her done. <laughs> so on to Daredevil season two. What were yeah. your, <laughs> this is an exciting <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll have very different feelings towards this. What, what was your thoughts of season two? I liked it. <laughs> I um I really like the fact that um Karen and Foggy became, you know, independent from Matt. Even, yeah. You know, when Matt's going through his whole struggle of uh nobody understands me. And um I really like the Punisher. I really like Frank Castle's character, John um what's his last name? Benthal Brenthal or something like that? Burnthal, there we go. He did fantastic. I was like, I wasn't about him because of, you know, Shane from Walking Dead. But then afterwards, I was like, I love this guy. He did really well. Um, And uh, I don't know, the Matt and Karen relationship, I did not care for that. It was so stale. Horrible. They have really little chemistry. It's just not there. No. Is it? Am I the only one that's having a a difficult time with separating Deborah from being Karen to her being Jessica? Because I'm gonna. <laughs> no, be- no, you're not. I, no, you are not. Shows up like, hey, blood. I'm. So, I keep thinking, when are her fangs gonna come? I don't. It's not. It's not <laughs> it's like, oh, give this girl something to do besides what? I'm like, come on, let her kill somebody Matt, else. Instead of being Matt's you know. Progeny. Yeah. Let, yeah. You know, I'm let her like, let her what? suck some blood. Let her kill somebody. I like her when she shot somebody, and you know, she killed a couple people in season one. Let's get back to that. Um, mm-hmm. But she, she needs some oh, some muscle. She's so cool. I love that she's become a reporter. I love that she stepped out on her own. I like that yeah. she kind of stands up to everybody. I'm not too into the love thing with her boss, but but everything else is working really well for Karen. I really like her go-getter, like, I'm going to get this story because I'm just driven to, not because she feels responsible to it or anything else other than, like, she's like, I want to know what happened. I'm going to get the truth. I think they've done a great job with Karen. There were parts with Karen that kind of irked me a little bit. Um, you know, the nosy reporter that's meddling in too much that could cause a lot of um, bad circumstances to, to happen to others. And, I, you know, this is sort of a trope that I've seen in a lot of other comic book shows. So I was concerned if that was going to be her entire story arc. But then it did get better. It did develop pretty well. 
And um, I really love the relationship between her and Foggy and how they kind of cemented that a little bit more this season. I could have done without the love story just because yeah. Matt mm-hmm. had the whole love story going on with Electra. Electra. And it 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 was it felt like, you know, for him to have this romance with Electra or this sort of reinvigoration of their infatuation in the past, like I just felt like having Karen there at in the side, it just sort of just pushed her away, kind of dismissed her character. And mm-hmm. and that was just that that didn't really sit well with me. I felt like they could have probably fleshed out more about the history of Electra and Matt and their mm-hmm. romance and focused on that as opposed to just, um, okay, let's randomly have Karen and Matt, you know, hook up, go on a date. And then also let's create a foil in that by having him have this, you know, relationship with Electra. So I, I could have done without that. But overall, I really enjoyed this season of Daredevil. I thought everybody did a phenomenal job. I had some issues with the Yakuza storyline. I just felt like, uh, yeah, I feel like we've seen that again. Asian, you know, villains doing martial Everywhere. arts and playing ninjas. Same and, thing. Yeah. Over like, and over. Can we do something a little different for a change? Um, but uh, o- overall, it, it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I, I think for Karen, for Karen, I have a couple of thoughts about Karen. One, they need to change her hair. They need to do something to make her hair a little bit stronger because she kind of disappears behind it. And I did not like hmm. I didn't. And, and that's a very, you, you know, I'm a beauty girl. It's 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 very important to not have a woman disappear behind her hair hmm. to disappear behind the makeup. They don't make any of her appearance strong. She's the, she's the, the picture of perfection. She's, she's demure. And she's so, she's like alabaster white and, and there's no contrast in any part of her. There's no contrast at all. So in, in one area, she's super medley and she's willing to fight for everything, but a man. And I'm, and, and then you have her juxtaposed with Electra, who's supposed to be the bad girl, and all of her aesthetics are dark. Everything mm-hmm. about her is that her hair is dark, her clothes are dark, and, and I know that she's a, she's a, 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 a she, I kind of consider her a semi-villain. She, but her character was fully developed with love intended as a part of her story. Karen is kind of like a bystander in her own love story. And I don't get that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. They just kind of make like her disappear. Romance fail. Yeah, romance fail. Hashtag yeah. fail. <laughs> so what were your thoughts about the new characters that were brought in this season? Punisher, Punisher. and Electra. Punisher. <laughs> that Those fight scenes. I I even. The prison fight scene in particular. Yes. I watched it again mm. for like the fifth time last night. I couldn't it watch so it brutal. again. I couldn't watch it twice. It, it was really brutal. Um, mm-hmm. Props to you for doing <laughs> that, though. And I felt, that's my favorite part. Like, it was so <laughs> intense and like what a fight should be. Lexi Alexander was on Batman on Batman the other day. Um, I don't know who Lexi is. She's directed episodes of Supergirl. She's a uh, uh, she started off as a stunt woman. She did like uh, Batman Forever. She's one of the gargoyle people. She also um, directed Punisher War Zone. Yep. She sure did. So she's she's the foremost authority. And she was talking about, you know, a lot of times you get fight scenes that just don't work realistically. Like you'll have women kicking dudes two times larger than them, which, I mean, it's cool to see a dude fly back when he gets kicked by a woman, but not in actuality how a woman would be able to take out a man. Mm-hmm. And there are ways that it could happen. 
um, and they don't often get shown, but this fight scene is so real. These, like, the knives, the makeshift uh, shanks, and the, the axe malice thing, like, the close quarters contact, like, I love the old boy kind of homage in season one, and I think mm-hmm. this, like, we can also do this on our own, though. We could make a great fight scene in close quarters with a ton of people, and it'll be the bloodiest thing you've seen since the Tarantino movie. I loved everything about it. I thought it was great. I love everything about Frank Castle. I felt like this whole entire season was the Frank Castle show. And Mm -hmm. I knew that was going to happen way before this, you know, right when they announced Frank Castle was going to be in Daredevil 2. I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be his show because Frank Castle has such a rich story. And Mm -hmm. I've watched the Punisher films. I actually like the Thomas Jane version the best. But he has such a rich story. And, And when I remember seeing the trailer and they were showing the pictures of his family and all of that, I was like, yeah, they're going to focus on his origin, which is excellent, and he's pretty much going to take over. And he's a very strong, compelling character. And I was so excited when they announced John Bernthal as the role, because I was a huge fan of Shane from The Walking Dead. I was kind of in the minority, because everybody didn't like Shane. I loved I like Shane. Despite mm. the fact that he was a psychopathic, you know, killer, um, I loved hey, everybody. <laughs> I loved everything about him, and I, I have some theories about why he became the person that he came. But um, I, I just love John Bernthal in that role, and I thought this is the perfect Frank Castle. You could not have gotten someone better. And sure enough, John did the damn thing, and it, it by far, I felt like he held the season. Like if they didn't have Punisher in this season, I don't think it would have been as good as season one, um, because I thought that Matt's role was just uh, it. It wasn't as compelling as it was the very first season. And, you know, this whole man pain story arc was kind of getting boring to me. So I'm really glad that Frank Castle was there to liven things up and and make this a more fun and entertaining show to watch. And those fight scenes were just incredible. Some of the best fight choreography that I've seen on cinema. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it, it, it was great having him as an addition to the cast. And Electra also kicking ass and and doing her thing with the yakuza i i just i loved it and her also the scene with her as a child and the training that she'd done with stick i was just like oh my god this child is out of this world um that child actress was amazing she was amazing Amazing. yeah so it, it was it was fun to watch definitely i went into it because you want to you don't want to go into a second season thinking it's going to be amazing um, and it's just as good as the first one, because what if you're disappointed, but it was, um, everything that I hoped it would be and Punisher was everything that I hoped it would be because Marvel does a great job of exploring those anti-hero storylines mm-hmm. Yeah. because you want to root is the people that you, you're not supposed to root for that you root for. And I completely root for Frank Castle because you get it, but that's and it starts to make you question yourself. Like I understand the psychopath. Am I crazy? I get why he's the way he is. So it's um and and just like the roof scene, and that's to me is my favorite scene. I yeah. out of every the roof scene between in the conflict of those two, and the gun scene, and, and you know, like Daredevil has this internal conflict of do I shoot this guy? What do I do? What are we going to do? Or does this guy, is he, am I going to say that he can shoot him? What do I do? Um, that, to me, because it also presented that conflict inside 
you know, Daredevil of what what do I do? Am I crazy? Am I understanding why he's doing it the way why Frank is doing exactly what he's doing? And I just that scene completely encompassed to me the theme of the show for me of why are these vigilantes doing what they're doing and who's justified? Who's to say that Daredevil's justified? He may not be killing, but he's hurting. You know, he's he's thinking he's stopping something, but these people like the scene at the very the beginning where the guy was like, I'm just gonna be right back out on the street. You know, I'm gonna be right out of jail just, you know, as soon as I get back in. That's where that whole theme came from and I, I loved that. And Frank is an amazing character and John was perfect because mm-hmm. there, I don't think anybody else could have done that role. Nobody else. You, I you agree. could think out there. Nobody else could have done that just because yes, Shane was just as crazy Yep. on yep. fucking dead. He was just as nuts. And he was one of my, and I, I feel like I'm in that minority. I loved Shane. I thought, you know, that was the perfect conflict for that show. And I kind of miss it. Um, and his, no and his one... psychotic arc was justified. So just as it was justified with Frank Castle, I felt like it was justified with Shane, which those parallels, that's why it made so much sense that John Bernthal was cast as the role. Because if you think about it, Shane and Frank are kind of similar people. Yeah. It was, it was to me, it was great. And it was foggy. I, I loved his um, take on how he interacted with, um, with Matt on the level of this isn't really your job. Why do you feel like this is your job? And then Matt was having that conflict. And then of course it got expanded with Frank. So I, I was completely enthralled, especially with Electra coming in as well, mm-hmm. adding in that extra level of, well, damn, okay, what more could they do? And what more conflict could they bring in? And it just, it was, um, it was a great thing to watch unfold because I don't think that the story ever got stale. And I would, I mean, yeah, the, the Yakuza scene, I was just kind of like, eh, I liked the Irish um, storyline more than I liked the other, that storyline, mm-hmm. the internal conflict of the, the gangs and how they interacted with each other. Um, I liked that with the Irish and how they handled everything. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was intense. That, uh, they that were scene, brutal at the funeral. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had to room. I was like, all right, that's that. I'm gonna walk this way. Bye. <laughs> that's one scene I won't. Re- and that's, you know, I can't rewatch that scene. That to me was just too much. I was like, all right, I could do without that. <laughs> you know, you're doing a good job when you can't rewatch a scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt like um, the Electra storyline was a little messy. Um, it was good, but it was also like, you know, juxtaposed with what's going on with Frank Castle and uh, the, you know, trying to figure out all that mess. Plus, you know, adding this part in and you really don't. Uh, some people don't know Electra's character. Yeah. And when they're just like, oh, yeah, she's the black sky. And you're just kind of sitting there like, well, what is that? Right. <laughs> and um, and how she just has this. Like, oh, I want to be a good person like you are, Matt, but I'm really not because of this or that. And it was just kind of, I don't know, it was kind of weird. But, you know, it, I mean, it's we all know that she's going to come back, but it's still just, 
it was still not done as cleanly as the Frank storyline. I'm glad it didn't make her white, though. <laughs> oh, my God. I love yeah. that. That she's not a, like, I mean, it's just like you got Electra, you know, back in the day. And you're like, really? Really? Yeah. Then they yeah. came. And, and I think if I've read correctly, um, I hopefully say her name right. Elodie is Cambodian and French. I think that is like a beautiful combination. She's gorgeous. And I was like, that's gorgeous that they went for someone that is a person of color. And she's Asian. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I just really love the fact that they fully developed her character. I mean, it was great to see a fully, just a woman who is messy and conflicted and just and powerful and strong and, and angry and just not cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. I like her. I'm not sure if, if we needed her this season. Hmm. Hear me out. I like her so much. I'm glad that she's in the show. I'm glad that they're exploring her. But between Punisher, the trial, and Matt trying to work out his own demons, it seemed like a lot to me. Hmm. And I feel like Electra is one of my favorite characters. And I don't know if, like, next season I'm sure that she's going to blossom into her own. They've, they're going to finally turn her into, like, the comic Electra. Um, but I'm not sure if, if her full potential was reached in this season just as a character just some plot like some of the stuff she did was cool the backstory was cool it was nice to see matt kind of break free and really embrace like like have fun being a hero like it's been so much serious business of like i have to save lives and i need to get stronger and see him have a really good time with somebody and enjoy kicking butt it was a lot of fun (laughs) as like a comics fan um but i I don't know. I just feel like Electra could have. It, it's so. She's so, it's like one of my favorite characters. She's so cool. I would have liked to see more of just her. I hope she gets a Punisher esque storyline next season where she can kind of break out and do more on her own. I agree. That's awesome. Well, let's wrap up the show. But before we do, I want to get everybody's social media shout outs. And um, if you have any current projects that you're working on, feel free to shout it out. And we'll start with uh, Karan, Kayla, Joelle, and Gabrielle. All right. You can find me everywhere at Karanism. That's C-A-R-O-N-I-S-M on every platform. And I have a brand new radio show um, called Cupidity. And that will be, that's available worldwide online through Karanism.com. Hello, it's Kayla. You can find me at, um, under, at, it's Maria underscore Hisella on Twitter and Instagram. And I am working on a few pieces right now. Um, and I'll, actually is really cool. Um, got brought in to start working on a new comic with a friend. So that'll be out towards hey. the end of the summer. So nice. I'm really excited. Uh, I'm Joelle Monique. You can find me everywhere at Joelle Monique. Very simple. Uh, check me out on After Buzz Thursdays covering Archer and Sundays covering Orphan Black. I'm Gabby, and uh, you can wiggity whack Gabby at Twitter and Tumblr. I'm trying to revamp my podcast, so don't look for that yet. <laughs> 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 and um, right now, um, 
I'm not really working on anything. <laughs> well, you'll be working on more shows with the BGM podcast soon, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Jamie Brodnax. You can find me on Twitter at my personal account at Jamie Brodnax. And of course, at Black Girl Nerds is where I usually hang out on Twitter. PeepBlackGirlNerds.com. We've also got merchandise on our website, BlackGirlNerds.com forward slash t-shirts. And subscribe to our newsletter where we have all kinds of fun updates of conventions that we're going to, live tweet events that uh, we participate in, and so much more. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.